Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast, and thanks for joining us. We hope this encourages you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on how God is actively moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Yesterday, um, on my lawnmower time, I told you guys, my wife, right before I, I was about to get on my lawnmower, my wife, she, she saw that I was getting ready to have my lawnmower time. And for those of you who don't know, my lawnmower time um, is the time where I just, I like to think. And um, sometimes my lawnmower time goes south and um, my thinking turns into worrying and then my worrying turns into having imaginary fights with people in my head. I know none of you do that ever, right? You do? Okay, good. Oh, I'm so glad. But uh, my wife came to me and she said, hey, look, she said, I know you get, you're going to be cutting grass today. She's like, you know, just, just a heads up. Long more time doesn't really go too good for you sometimes. She's like, I'm just reminding you. And I, my response was, I'm good. And then about 10 minutes later, I'm like, why are you being an idiot? She's right. You needed to be reminded. And so like, I went in there, man, and I had my song on, on, you know, on repeat. And so if you saw me on Fallen Creek Church Road cutting grass yesterday and I was yelling and screaming, it might be because I done caught the Holy Ghost. <laughs> now I might have been praying in tongues or singing or, 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 or talking to God out loud. I don't know. I was just, I was, I was all in yesterday during my long more time. It went great. But um, as I was on my long more time, I was praying for our church and I really felt like I just needed to address what was going on in the, in the world right now. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Um, I know right now there's a, there's a lot of opinions. Everybody, can everybody say amen? There's a lot of opinions about what's going on on right now in the world today. And one of the things that I want to ask you to do as a believer, if you call yourself a believer and you're part of this church, I want to ask you to put on your spiritual goggles and see what's really happening. Now, just like I, I think it doesn't take a ton of discernment to see that there is something politically shifting, there's something going on. And you don't have to say amen. Um, I feel very strongly there is something going on. I don't know what it is. And there's a lot of people that they're absolutely certain they know what it is. I have no clue what it is. I just know it's not good. I also know this though, when I look a little bit higher and I look a little bit deeper, I see what the enemy is trying to do. Now, I'm not talking about in the country, I'm talking about in the church. And what the enemy is trying to do is he is trying to split us up and he is trying to divide us. Does everybody else, are, is anybody else, you, your soul bears witness with me on that? He is trying to divide us. Now, it, it's, and it's, it's happened over the past 18 months. It's happened with um, all of the, the, the racial stuff that we saw going on, which by the way, has anybody just stopped and wondered why are we not hearing about that anymore? It's still happening. We still have a long ways to go, but doesn't it seem like right at the right time when it's just convenient, all this stuff just gets put in front of our face. It's still happening. We still have a long ways to go. We still don't have equality in America. Say amen or oh me. I would just invite you to come walk with me and you'll see what I see and you'll deal with what I deal with on a regular basis. However, I'll say this too. Once that was over, it was like the whole COVID thing kicked up. And then you had to either pick, do I think it's real or do I think it's fake? Or do I think it's China? Everybody with me? Yeah, laugh. 
I'm a, I try to leave my personal opinions at home. But then it was, all right, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? And do I wear 14 masks and a face shield? Right? And a bubble. And then it was like, if you wear a mask, that must mean that you're a fear monger and you don't have faith in God. Right? But then if you do, you don't wear a mask, it's like, oh, you must hate everybody. And, and you want people dead. Has anybody seen the, this is, this is ridiculous. It's almost like I've come home and all my children are bickering and they're arguing over who gets to sit in the, in the chase lounge on our couch. And like, I come home and I'm like, really? Are we really arguing about this? And now it's vaccine or no vaccine. And then if you do have the vaccine, that's subdivided into two categories of forced vaccine or non-forced vaccine. Every time we turn around, what's happened is the enemy is doing this. He's slicing and dicing and dividing trying to cut us down the middle over here, and then he goes to this side and tries to cut it down the middle. Please see what the enemy is doing. He is an accuser of the brethren. So this is our official stance on everything that's going on. If you want to wear a mask to church, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask to church, don't wear a mask. If you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. That's your opinion. If you don't want to get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine. That's your opinion. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. That's my opinion on that. However, I will say this. We are not going to be played by the enemy at Bethel Church. You hear me? We're going to love each other through this. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to split us up, divide us, and get people. There's people who have not, and you're watching right now, they haven't been to church in over a year. And, and many people would say ridiculous things like, oh, they don't have faith. No, they made a commitment to take care of their aging parent. And that's just the decision that they've made. Let's love them through it. Right? Let's love them through it. We don't, we don't want anybody telling us what to do, but daggone it, we want to tell everybody else what to do. Yep. Right? So let's just love people. Let's see, let's see the big picture, the big game on what's going on. The enemy has always tried to divide us and split us away from each other. Let's make up our minds we're not going to do it. Y'all with me? Yep. I, I got some people backing me up here. Now, if you want my personal opinion, ask me out in the lobby. I'm going to be honest with you. I have strong opinions. <laughs> and so I have to ask my wife, like, is this okay for me to share? She's like, no, that's your opinion. You need to share that on a personal basis. I want to say this too. I want to challenge you to start using your social media accounts to bring glory to God and to spotlight the local church. So you're like, you're convicted. You're like, I'm going to go home, delete, 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 delete. No, I'm just saying, I'm saying you're not going to win an argument. You're, you're, you're not, you're, there's, a, there's a passage of scripture that talks about casting pearl before swine. It says, don't get caught in an argument with a fool. And there's another saying, I can't even remember if this is scripture or not, but it's a saying I love. Don't argue with a fool in public. People will walk by and think you're both fools. Okay, just remember this, like, Love covers a multitude of sin. And I am not willing to separate myself from another person over anything that doesn't have to do with Jesus Christ being the son of God and the solution for my sin. Now, if you wanna start preaching and teaching that stuff in our church, I'll chunk deuces at you real fast. 
right? And I want to be another, one more thing. I want to tell you this. I'm not willing to lose a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ that is laboring with, with me in this city over some politician in D.C. that I don't even know what's going on. Right? Look at each other. Look at everybody in this room real quick. They ain't the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And he's using this and he's orchestrating this to try to bring division in the church. Let's call it for what it is. Let's see it for what it is. I'm not telling you not to have a, an opinion. We're gonna talk about politics in this church from time to time, especially when it begins crisscrossing and tiptoeing on the word of God. We're gonna preach God's truth, but we're gonna love each other through it. Can I get an amen? Good, I'm so glad I got you guys are on board here. Um, so we're in the middle of a series called The Everyday Gospel. How many of you have been here? Let me see, you have been here. Okay, cool. And um, this morning, I, I wanna talk to you. We're actually, ironically enough, we're gonna be in the Old Testament. We're gonna be in the Old Testament. And the reason I'm gonna go to the Old Testament is because I could preach this from a million different places in the Bible. But I want you to see that the Old Testament is valid and it's useful and we need it. That Bible teaches us that all scripture is profitable for teaching and for doctrine. However, when you read the Old Testament, I need you to get this in your mind. I'm gonna give you a little Bible study tip. When you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament points towards Jesus. It points towards a better solution. So if you're a teacher, by the way, and you teach kids or students, and you're about to teach them from an Old Testament passage, if you haven't found Jesus in the passage yet, you're not prepared to teach yet. Because the Old Testament is not a, a, a plethora of books that is designed to make us morally better. It is a book, a, a series of books that points towards the bigger and the better and the ultimate solution in Jesus, right? David and Goliath, who are we in the story? Yeah, we're Goliath or with the fear-mongering Israel's who didn't have enough faith to stand up. So who do we need? We needed a David to come in and fight our battle for us. David is Jesus. How many of you see that? When you read the Old Testament, trust me, your Old Testament reading time will go from like, oh, this is a cool story. Yeah, I need to have good friends. Mm-hmm. Don't drink. It's not a good idea. Didn't work out good for that guy. And now you read the story and you're like, oh my goodness, I see Jesus in the story. And you just have a little revival right there in your study, okay? So we're gonna be in Exodus 32. I need to give you some, a backdrop if you don't know what has happened. The Old Testament is the story of God setting up his physical kingdom, calling a physical people, leading them to a physical promised land, bringing them out of physical slavery and physical bondage. Those people that he calls through Abraham are called the, there you go, the Israelites or the Jewish people. Now, at some point in time between God calling Abraham and the Israelites out as his people. The Bible says that he would bless them and through them, everyone else would be blessed. Anybody see the connection between us and them? You should see the connection between us and them. Somewhere between that time and he called them and up until this point, 
they wound up in slavery in Egypt. There's a story, a big long story behind it about Joseph. It's awesome. Read it. But they're in slavery. There are millions of them. Some people would think, think that there was anywhere between two and 2.5 million of them and that they were all brought into slavery. By the way, this matches up historically. Ever wondered how the Egyptians built all the crazy mess that they built with little to no technology? Well, first of all, they were geniuses, engineers, but they had a couple million people that they had enslaved. So God sends this guy named Moses to lead them out of Egypt. Y'all with me here? Now, anytime we talk about Egypt, remember, it's a real physical place. They were really in slavery. But also remember what we talked about three Sundays ago, I think, or four or 10. I don't remember when. About how, how does scripture describe us before we're saved? We're enslaved to sin. We're in chains. We're in bondage. We can't help ourselves. We can't lead ourselves out of it, right? So we needed someone to come and deliver us and set us free. So in this story, Moses is like a pre-runner to Jesus. Y'all seeing it now? Okay, but you're gonna also see where Moses is not Jesus. <laughs> you're gonna see it real clear in a little bit. So what has happened is Moses has brought them, he's led them out of Egypt, led them out of slavery. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've seen all these miracles happen and we're six weeks into the journey. You guys ready? Exodus 32, verse one. When the P, oh, sorry, forgot to tell you this too. Moses, there's six weeks in and he realizes God's calling him like, hey dude, Moses, listen, I need you to come up this mountain called Mount Sinai. You're going to get up there and I'm going to give you some rules and some guidelines on how to lead these people. Because if you don't, they're going to kill you and they're going to kill each other. And they're going to go back to Egypt. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Without guidelines, without some rules, without some instructions, my people perish for their lack of knowledge. Y'all seeing this? Okay. So he calls Moses up to this place called Mount Sinai. When he gets up there, like all this lightning and thunder, and it's like the thunder rolls. Okay. <laughs> Just told my age. The lightning strikes. All this stuff's going up on this mountain. The people look up and they see what's going on. They're pretty afraid. They should be reverential fear of God. And that's when our story picks up. Moses has been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. When the people saw, verse one, that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together, Aaron. Now, if you don't know who Aaron is, it's Moses' brother. It's Moses' brother who is a very charismatic, eloquent speaker. Moses had a stuttering issue and God called him to lead the people and Moses didn't believe that God could use him. So God like kind of compromised, I guess, whatever that looks like. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Well, you can bring your brother with you and he'll just be your spokesperson, but you're still leading. Once again, we see that this was not God's perfect plan and we see what happens when we don't follow God's perfect plan. Moses goes up to talk to God. He leaves Aaron in charge. Big mistake. So they got, all the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. They said, look, uh, make us, let's make some gods who will go before us. And, but, and as for this Moses, the man who has brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't really know what has become of him. 
Thank you for seeing the humor in that. I really appreciate that. When I read these stories, remember, when you read these stories, don't read them in your best pastor's voice and skip over what's really happening. These people have seen all these miracles and they come to Aaron, they're like, Aaron, we just want a God we can see and we can touch and like, it would just be nice if he was like right here. So let's make a God. Does anybody see the irony in that statement? Make a God. It's a little bit strange. By definition, I think that means it's not God. But anyways, what is going on? All because Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is the everyday gospel. These are God's chosen people, called out people, but yet they're still battling and struggling because they're fighting their flesh, they're fighting the ways of the world around them, and they're fighting a spiritual battle. Now, you might look at these people and say to yourself, that is sheer stupidity. That is dumb. I would never do anything like that. I'm just gonna let you sit on that thought for just a minute. This is what I want you to understand. The human heart is an idol factory. It is a perpetual idol factory that will just make idols like it's nothing but a thing. Why though? This is why. Because scripture teaches us that we have been created and designed to worship. You hear me? We are worshipers. Now you might say to yourself, I'm not a worshiper. No, no, that's not me. Oh yeah, you're worshiping something. Like, well, I don't sing out loud and I don't really get into the music. You guys are just really, there's people up there jump. Well, I promise, let me follow you around for a day and I can, I'll find some things that you worship. You come home with me and you'll see the things that I struggle to not put on the altar and worship myself as well. But many times we, we hear this like this is, this is the bad news, right? My heart is an idol factory. But that is why Jesus came. Is anybody hearing me? I know this isn't like really revelation or anything like that. I am so sorry. I'll, I'll do a little bit better this week and I'll just dig out something that's not there and then we can jump up and down about it. But the truth is this, is that we return to the foundational principles. Many times the things that we try to use to disqualify ourselves from doing what God has told us to do. It's the very reason Jesus came. So my brother and my sister, own the depths of the darkness of your heart. It is yours. Own it. And remember, this is why Jesus came. There are many who would try to teach and preach that we don't need to own our sins in the depths and the darknesses of our heart, but we actually do because it makes Jesus that much sweeter, that he would come and he would set me free from this mess. He would come and he would, he would crush the head of the serpent so that I no longer had to run around worshiping false idols. Your heart is an idol factory. And for that very reason is the reason that Jesus came. It's easy to begin worshiping idols. It's very easy to look at these people and say, oh my gosh, they are idiots. What are they doing? But when we quit gathering with God's people, we disconnect from godly relationships. We skip our Bible time for a week, quit playing, re replace our worship music with talk shows. Look, how many times do you need to hear Dave Ramsey say, don't go in debt? That's what the whole show's gonna be about, y'all. 
Just li- it's just like a John Maxwell book. Read one and you've read all of them, okay? Listen to one podcast they've read and you'll be good for a month. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. Don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. That basically sums up everything he has to say. No, but we, we begin replacing these times, these, these communions with God, with other things. We get busy with work. We start a project in the yard. I need a mirror. I'm gonna have to get our, our team to put a big mirror right here so I can just come look at myself when I, so y'all know when I'm preaching to myself. And the next thing you know, you walk outside and there's a golden calf in the front yard and your children are dancing around it butt naked. And some of you are thinking to yourself, dude, you are really adding the scripture. No, I ain't adding the scripture. Every single bit of that's in there. An idol is anything that we exalt above God. Anytime, anytime I exalt something in my life and I let it take the, the only place that God can be, I actually said in the first service, I made the statement. I said, the only, the only idol you should have in your life is God. And then my wife, after every service, I, I, I sit down and I say, hey, anything I should change? She said, no, everything was great except that one statement where you said, the only idol we should have is God. She says, because God is not an idol. All idols are counterfeit gods. And I'm like, go ahead, girl. Go ahead, girl. I say, that was going to preach. I was going to let you get up there and go in on them real quick. But anything that we try to play, put in the place that only God can be, it becomes an idol. And it's real easy to identify certain idols. Like if you're obsessed, you're in that stage of life where you're looking for your dream home and the home that you're gonna settle your life in. Everybody, who's been there before? Wave at me, you know what I'm talking about. And you get obsessed with it. You skip out your devotions every morning to look at house plans. Ooh, I'm preaching right now. I am preaching right now, right? Right? Instead of praying, like you pray for two minutes and then you start pulling out your phone and you're like, Zillow, Zillow. <laughs> I'll just listen to some worship music while I look at houses for sale, right? Or, or when, you, when you ride in your friend's new car and you get in, you're like, oh, I miss that smell. I need a new one myself, right? And so you take all your time that you would give the Lord and you start price comparison and looking at consumer reports and all this stuff. It's real easy to see idols like that. We make our house our idols. Some of us, we make our front yards our idols. I need a mirror. Yeah, I need a mirror. Look, but some, uh, there are other idols that are not tangibles that are sometimes kind of hard for us to identify. For example, control. Has control become an idol in your life? Have you exalted it to the place where like you, above all things, you, can't, you won't be in a situation that you can't control? Even if that means you don't attend the gathering of the saints anymore. Even if that means you completely ignore your group. Even if that means you ignore godly relationships because you just can't stand being around people that you just can't control. And by the way, you can pursue the idol of control, but you'll be pursuing it until the day you take your last breath and you'll never be any closer to reaching it. The idol of being right. We see that a lot. Like that's, you right? Yeah, the, 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 the idol of, 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 of financial provision. We began putting these things. So I, I, I think it's so funny. I haven't even got out of verse one. I got to hurry. I only have like an hour and a half left to preach. Um, 
The phrase that they say in there, Moses, we don't know about Moses, that man, the man, we don't know what, go to that, go back to the passage in verse one for me, please. You're doing such a good job, Ty Amber. You're always so faithful. Can we just give Ty Amber a big hand real quick? She's rocking and rolling every week. Yeah, thank you. We love you so much. They say, make us a God, ask for this Moses, this Moses, like, Golly, poor God, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. They say that so casually. We do not know what has become of him. Yes, they did. They could hear the lightning and the thunder going on. Verse two. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he, this is really important to see. He fashioned it. In other words, he designed it. With a, with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is so strange. They literally, listen, they depended on God to get them where they needed to be. And then they were put into a waiting season. And during the waiting season, they switched it up on God. I'm tired of waiting on you. So let me build this and let me let that become my God. Now you can fill in the blank with whatever you need to fill in personally right now. Very quickly, we can see a good way to identify our idols. Just log on to your budget or your online banking right now. And you'll get an idea possibly of where some of your idols lie. Some of you are going to, you would log on and you'd be very pleased with what you see. Like, wow, I'm really honoring God with my finances. Good job. That's awesome. But you can look and you can see another thing you can do, and we'll see this come about later on, but anything that we defend vehemently, there's an idol close by. Things that make, that make you, that tick you off and make you really angry. I, I need you to notice the next time you get really mad and it's not righteous indignation. It's not because somebody's being abused or treated wrong. It's just something that makes you really angry. And I want you to stop for a minute. Don't leave that area. And I want you to get out your idol detector because there's an idol real close by. A mentor in my life told me this recently. And so like, when I do get angry, which happens less than it used to, but sometimes I still do get angry, I've been stopping and being like, what really is making me angry? And you know what usually is making me angry? I didn't get what I wanted. Well, in other words, I'm pitching an adult tempered tantrum because I wanted a toy on I-3 and mommy and daddy wouldn't buy it for me. Some of you are like, you're making me feel really stupid right now. Join the club. When these things happen, I say, this is, this is why Jesus came. Because what sometimes I do is I turn my expectations into this idol. And I want what I want when I want it. So when you start feeling yourself getting really angry, look around. When the furnace of life heats up and we get in pressured situations, 
out of the fires will come our idols. You'll see them very clear. You'll see what was in there. Before the calf was built, we also see a second idol. This was, this was the idol before the calf. How many of you see it? You see it in there? Maybe not, maybe so. Okay, this is what it was. Aaron had idolatrized the opinion of peoples, of people. He cared so much about what these people thought of him that he was willing to make them a false god. We could, we could use this as a lesson in leadership, but I say don't dare do that. Use it as a lesson in idol worship and how sneaky and how tricky it can be and how our hearts will just pop up idols one after the other. But this is the everyday gospel. And the gospel is this. This is why Jesus came, right? So if you're finding right now, like 14 idols just popped up in your brain, you're like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this preached before. I didn't even know, like I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping false idols. Hey, chill for just a second. That's why Jesus came. And the Lord said, wait, wait. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before. So he literally builds an altar. They put like the golden calf and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. Bro, you just made a golden calf out of some earrings. And now you're talking about a feast to the Lord. You guessed it. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Let me address that rose up to play. It translates into conjugal touching. In other words, they were dancing around naked and engaged in sexual orgies. This was very, very, very common um, of pagan worship in that day. Now, I know we look at something like this and we say, you know what, like there isn't, I'm so glad America doesn't commit adultery. I'm so glad that there's not this like event that people will empty their complete savings out to attend to only sit in the nosebleed section to take their shirts off and watch half naked people sing at halftime on the 50 yard line. I'm so glad we don't have something like that in America. Can we just thank God for it real quick? Right? So you're like, hey man, come on now. Don't be getting on football. <laughs> we'll go to a soccer game. It's worse. Um, but what we do is we see this. It, 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 it involved a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, a lot of sexual sin. But I want you to notice this little phrase. Aaron saw it and he said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. We all do this with our idols. And this is why they can be really difficult to locate sometimes in our lives because we create an idol and then we take some religious pride and we just sprinkle it over the top of it, like almost disguising it. I mean, you see what I'm saying? In other words, we do something we create an idol and then we say to ourselves, you know what, like I'll, I'll kind of like, I'll kind of throw in Jesus a little bit and that'll make it okay. And this is what Aaron is doing. He takes this false idol and tries to turn it and act like it was something they were doing uh, for the Lord. Y'all with me here still? The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. In other words, he's told Moses, you better get down there. They're being crazy. Whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed it to it. 
These are your gods, O Israel. And they have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, that means stubborn. Like a donkey. Or a... Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. We have a lot of songs about God's love. What if we just wrote a song about God's wrath? Just throwing the thought out there. Some of you are thinking, whoa, hold up, bro. God is love, man. Um, No, God is also a God of wrath. And, and that's very difficult for us to understand because we get angry about dumb things. So we try to like put that kind of anger and that kind of wrath and try to understand God through that lens. But God gets angry about righteous things. So when God gets angry, he gets angry for a reason. Just like if you walk out of here and you see an older lady being mugged. I hope in your heart, when you look at the person mugging them, you don't say, gee, golly, whiz, I love you. Come here, buddy. Let's get that purse back, okay? No, your adrenaline's gonna start pumping because you've seen, you've seen an injustice and you're gonna go do something about it. And then afterwards, when he's laying on the ground, we're gonna tell him we love him. <laughs> All right, y'all with me here? I'm not even kidding. That was a pretty good explanation of what it means for, to understand God's wrath. It's a righteous wrath. Very interesting conversation between God and Moses. It's gonna completely hijack some of your thoughts about prayer. Because you literally see God saying, yeah, I'm just going to kill them all. And Moses is like, whoa, please don't do that. We're going to keep talking. I'll explain that a little bit as we move along. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh, Lord, why, why does your wrath burn so hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Listen, if you kill them, The Egyptians are going to say, he just set them free so he could kill them himself. Moses is having an interaction with God here. And then he does something else. He says, you remember that promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they will inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, some of your Bibles are gonna use the word repented. And what it means is it just simply means God just turned and went a different direction. Now, this is a pretty difficult passage to like break down and understand this is not the point of the sermon. So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. But what we do see is this. We do see that that man can turn the heart of God. It's called intercession. It's called standing in the gap for people. Now, where does that cross the line with God's sovereignty? I don't have a great explanation. I just know this. I know that we see it happen multiple times in scripture. I'm gonna keep reading. Everybody with me still? You awake? This is the gospel. Thank you. Look at you. That's what I'm talking about. You guys get me so pumped up. All right, then verse 15. Then Moses turned... And he went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand. So y'all see, he's got the tablets, right? God has written on both sides of them. And for all you students who hate hearing this phrase, yes, that was front and back. 
The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on tablets. And when Joshua, this is the first time we hear about Joshua, I love it every time you see Moses in the Bible, he's got his successor by him. So when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat. But you hear that, Moses? Mm, 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 mm. They're singing. They're, they're down there singing. And as soon as they came near the camp and they saw the calf and the, da- the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he... Th- I'm so glad God put this in there. Thank you, Lord. Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf that they had made, he burned it with fire, he ground it to powder and he made lemonade with it and he made everybody drink it. Life gives you lemons, make lemonade. When God, life gives you idols, I don't know what we call this. Idolade? That sounds, that's kind of good. I think we could sell that, y'all. We made a cute little package and told people it made them smarter. I want you to see something, and this is where the everyday gospel trickles in. You're like, how, how, how do I pull application from this? What in the world do I do with this passage? This is what you do. Do you notice how when Moses came down, he didn't say this. He didn't say, what in the world are y'all doing? Put your clothes on. Get your hands off of her. He didn't say, turn this music off. It's too loud. He didn't, he didn't criticize their behaviors. He didn't, I know like parents, now hear me out parents, you know what I'm talking about? You go in the room and you're like, what are you doing? Why did you do this? And if your kid's been a part of the series, they look at you and say, because I'm being attacked by the world, the ways of the world, they're completely against God. I'm, I know, mom, I'm saved, but I'm still fighting my flesh and the enemy's been after me. In short, the devil made me do it. That's why I did it. But how many times, listen to me, parents, hear me out on this. And if, you're, and if you want to apply it to another area of your life, feel free. I don't have time to make all application. But how many times do we see a negative behavior and we address the negative behavior? So we're like, should I not? Look at what Moses did. He goes past the naked people, having sex, listening to ridiculous music. He goes past the fact that they've burned up all their money trying to make this stupid idol. And where does he go? He heads straight for the idol. How much time, money do we spend on trying to modify our behavior when we're just going to get a new one tomorrow because the idol is still there in the middle of the yard? It's still sitting in our house and the idol's not destroyed. And if we don't destroy the idol, the behaviors are just going to flow from it. So what does Moses do? See, that's what I mean. Parents, when we're talking about, when I'm parenting with the gospel in mind and my kid makes a mistake and they keep repeating the same mistakes over and over, at some point I need to stop and say, my rules aren't working. Wait, crap, they didn't work for anybody in the Bible. That's why Jesus came. God, show me, show me what my children 
are, what idols they have in their life. Because you can, you can dog her about taking selfies all you want. You take too many selfies. You wear too much makeup. You're not wearing that out of this house. And by the way, you need to do that. <laughs> we need to try to protect them. But remember this, none of that is going to change their heart. Their hearts are being gripped by an idol. Now, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you get frustrated with your, your habits and your hangups and your addictions, if you have any of those, if. By the way, shameless plug, Recovery Live is starting September 3rd. Whoop, whoop. Every Friday night till Jesus comes back. But when you're getting frustrated with yourself, you can, you can come up with 10 new ways to stop bad habits. Or what you can do is you can say, God, what idol is this bad behavior flowing from? And then we do what Moses did and we act the miracle. We aggressively attack the sin. We crush it and we begin thinking on higher thoughts. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, you can, you can modify behavior all day long, but you're just gonna pick up a new one tomorrow because the idol is still there. So notice this, that, that Moses goes straight for the idol. Then Moses said to Aaron, I've got 30 more minutes, I'm almost done. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? It was strong. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. That's what that means. You know, no, he wasn't talking about God. He was talking about, hey, you're my, yeah, commander. You know the people, you know the people, they're set on evil. Are y'all reading this with your pastor's voice or are you reading it like it sounds, right? Moses is really ticked off. He's like, what would you do? What are you thinking, man, that you would bring this kind of evil on these people? And then Aaron was like, oh, please don't be so mad. These people, they're, they wake up every morning and they're bound and determined that they're gonna do evil regardless of what I say. And this is what they did to me, Moses. They came to me and they said, Aaron, will you make us a God? Because Moses, we don't really know what's happened to him. And then I said to them, okay, you know what? Let anybody who has gold, just take it off, give it to me. And they said, and then I threw it in the fire. Do you guys see it? <laughs> In other words, he literally tells them, he's like, look, I, I was trying, like, man, I was fasting. I was really trying to be a good spiritual leader. And these people, they were bound and determined to do bad things. How, who am I to stop them? They just brought me all their gold. I was just like, hey, what do I do with this gold? Prosperity's bad, we gotta get rid of it. So I threw it in the fire <laughs> and out popped a calf. Liar, all lies. There's not one bit of truth in that. Remember the verse that I told you to pay attention to? The Bible says that Aaron took out a carving and an engraving tool and he made this calf. What's the moral of the story? If there are any, if this is the moral of the story. If there are any idols around, they're because you made them. We can blame it on our circumstances and we can blame it on the people around us. But the truth is this, is that Aaron actually would have had no, this calf, some people say, oh, that, that, that represents Baal. No, it doesn't. They haven't even met the Canaanites yet. 
And the, and the Egyptians didn't worship idols. They worshiped living things. This calf was in his heart. So when it came time to make an idol and to worship something that they could see and that was tangible and that felt more close to them than the living God, what came out was a product of what was already in there. Sometimes I hate that I even preached and teach this a couple years ago because this was a message that nobody forgot and people still remind me about it, including my wife. But my response is my responsibility. What comes out of you is not because of external situations. It's because it was already there to begin with. So Aaron's trying to cop out and it, it's because he's in deception. He's, he's lying to Moses and he's lying to himself. You cannot grieve. I'm, I'm almost done. You cannot grieve what you do not see. You cannot honestly confess what you do not grieve. And you cannot repent what you have not confessed of. Do you see what I'm saying there? This is, the, the, this is what idols do to us. They blind us to the fact that they are present. And that's the scary thing about deception. And please hear me on this because this might be the only word of God that some of you get all week. This might be your only chance to see it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to keep it real with you. The thing about deception is this that makes it really scary. That does make it scary. You don't know you're deceived. You walk around believing a lie. And this is what Aaron was doing. This is why we need each other. Because I would like to think that like, I'm just so open all the time that the spirit of God can just hit me on the lawnmower. But sometimes it might be me walking by my brother and him grabbing my arm and saying, hey man, um, who I ain't never done this to you before, but I just discerned something. And uh, I'm kind of going out on a limb here, but uh, how's your heart? And then I'm like, you shouldn't have asked me today, <laughs> right? Sometimes we need, we need a brother or a sister in Christ to help us snap out of the deception that we're walking in, the idolatrous lifestyle we're living in. I got to go because I really want to tell y'all what happened. Do y'all want to know what happened? I know you do. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, they broke loose, and Mo then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. Now there's an explanation coming for all this. This, by the way, the story doesn't end happy. Very rarely does it end happy in the Old Testament. Happy comes in New Testament. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on each side and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Um, where's like forgiveness and mercy and stuff in this story? Well, let's keep reading. I'm gonna warn you, it doesn't get better. 
The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Anybody seeing what I'm seeing? So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will forgive their sin, wait, God, if you won't forgive their sin, then blot me out too. So what we see is a human being going up a hill to offer up atonement for the sins of the people that he's leading, even to the point of where he is willing to sacrifice him. Anybody seeing this? But anybody see, oh, this looks like Jesus, but it's not Jesus. Stay with me. And then the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead people to the place about which I have spoken to you, the promised land. Behold, my angel will still go before you. But nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. That's how the story ends. Now, don't casually say this, but a lot of us are going to, when we read this, we're going to have a hard time reconciling the God that we worship with this God. There's a couple of things I want to point out to you real fast, though. The first one is this. Until we understand the seriousness of sin, we'll never fully appreciate what Jesus did. Your question might be, why did he kill all these people? Your question really needs to be, why does he let me live? Your question might, need to, might be, I thought God was a, was a God of mercy. Like, why would he do this to all these people? The truth is this is, why would he send Jesus to die for us knowing that we would willingly create these idols and worship them anyways? Why do I get that chance? The second thing about that is this, is that anytime you go to a doctor, if you went to a doctor today and you had been sick for months and they told you, they said, he said, you know what? You know what's causing this? What is it? Infection. Infection, what, what do you mean infection? You have an infection in, in your right big toe and I need to amputate it. You wouldn't say, oh my gosh, you're a terrible, mean doctor. What would you say? Thank you. Thank you for finding it and thank you for being willing what it takes to get rid of it. In the Old Testament, see, Jesus hadn't come. Moses and Abraham and human beings were still offering up sacrifices. So even though it was a version of what it looked like for Jesus to do, it wasn't Jesus. But praise God, Jesus came so that we could have life and so that we could have it more abundantly. You see, when you read your Old Testament stories, parents, to your kids at night, I want you to get in the habit of reading it like this. You read this story, yep, right before bedtime, read this story to your kids. <laughs> so you're like, no, that is your opinion and I am not taking it. 
But when you get done reading the story, then you point out to them. And by the way, in your Bible study time, when you read this story, you read it and you see what Jesus, Moses did. And then at the end of it, you tag on. But one day, but one day, there would come a man who would also walk up a hill, who would be willing to sacrifice himself, but his sacrifice would be complete. It would be a better than Moses. It would be Jesus. And this morning, this is the gospel. The gospel is this, that the human heart is dark. It is an idol factory, but that is the very reason that Jesus came. So if you don't feel worthy and you don't feel qualified, that is amazing. That's great news. It's great news because if you do feel qualified, what you're suffering from is pride and pride Pride is the first offspring of idol worship and fear is its first stepchild. What do I mean? We bow up and we defend the things that we idolize in fear that they will be removed. So if you don't feel qualified, if you see the depths of the darkness of your heart, great. That's why Jesus came. He wants to save you. He wants to clean you up. He wants to set you free. He wants to change your very life. Thank God we don't live in this time frame. Cause I'd be dead. Anybody else you'd be dead? Raise your hand. Yeah. This is why Jesus came. It's a whole new dispensation. The Testament was new. When Jesus came, he changed everything. And rather then question the God of the Old Testament. Let's see the beauty of Jesus coming and what he did. Can you stand with me right now? I wanna ask you right now, if you bow your head, close your eyes. You're here this morning. You do not know Jesus Christ. You have never put your faith in the Son of God, the risen Savior, and you feel the Spirit of God drawing you right now to be saved. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand right now and say, that's me. I feel the Holy Spirit drawing me to be saved. Hey, I see you. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. Wow. Come on. Can we really just stop for a moment and just thank God right now for the young woman that just raised her hand? Come on, let's thank God right now. God, we don't take it for granted. Some of y'all who, who have been eager to see a miracle where you just, you just saw one. The greatest miracle, right? It's better than someone who is blind receiving their sight. It's better than someone who is paralyzed being able to walk. Somebody was just rescued from death to life. Now, this is what Scripture tells us. It says this, that if we confess Jesus Christ, we just confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that He is God's Son, and that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, you will be saved. So I want you to pray with me right now. You just raise your hand and say, God, I confess with my mouth. I, I, align, I align my heart with your heart that Jesus is your son and that you raised him from the dead. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, listen, you just prayed that prayer. Wow. 
Good grief almighty. In the words of our founding pastor, if, um, if that don't set you on fire, your wood's wet. I want us to just for a moment, can we just, can we just give God a little bit of praise and glory right now? God, I thank you. God, I thank you for saving right now in Jesus' name. We don't take it for granted. We hope that you have been encouraged today. And if you're looking for more information about who we are as a church, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue to grow together in God's Word.